Amen. Hallelujah to Jesus. Church, would you remain standing as we read our text for this morning? On the day of Christ's birth, an angel of God appeared to a group of shepherds gathered in the dark on a hillside outside of Bethlehem. And this was the angel's message. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. After the angels presented Jesus to the shepherds, the story of Christmas continues that Jesus was then presented at the temple by Mary and Joseph. We pick up there in verse 21, it says, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that many thoughts or the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. As we've prepared our hearts in this Advent season, We've seen that Jesus came to bring us joy. We've seen that Jesus came into this world as God's gift to bring us hope. We've seen that Jesus came into the darkness of the night to bring us peace. And we've also seen this morning that into the darkness of this fallen and rebellious world. God gave his son to bring us love. And so we light this fourth candle of Advent as a reminder that our greatest love is found in a person and his name is Jesus. Would you make your prayer with me this morning? Father, we praise you for Jesus. Having come as the greatest expression in the history of this universe, that you are a God who loves and cares for mankind. And Lord, we pray that Father, the Holy Spirit would fill us with the power of Christ to comprehend the incomprehensible love that is yours, the height, the breadth, the depth, and the length, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so, Lord, be glorified in us as we study your word today. And may our hearts 
be filled with the knowledge of your love and also respond by treasuring Christ, by loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be glorified in us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2, our text in Luke chapter 2. So Emily and I were friends before we actually started dating. It's a long and it's a wonderful story. So settle in. I'm going to tell you the whole thing. No, I'm kidding. But she tried to set me up on a couple of blind dates before she and I were actually dating. And I've got to tell you, I found it pretty interesting that the girls she would introduce me to weren't even close to compatible with me. It was almost as if she didn't want those relationships to work out. Suspicious, right? But we continued to talk and our friendship continued to grow and we found out a lot of things that we have in common. We both love old black and white movies. We both love old singers like Nat King Cole. And if you're not feeding your children a healthy amount of Nat King Cole, shame on you. We both think Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year and we both loved eating absurd amounts of ice cream. And as our friendship developed over time, there was this point where I could tell that something was going on in my heart toward Emily that I wasn't saying out loud. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even really letting myself acknowledge it to me. And at the exact same time as something was stirring in my heart toward her, I I couldn't help but wonder day after day, conversation after conversation, what was going on in her heart toward me. I knew we were friends. I knew we were getting along really well. I just could not in my wildest dreams imagine that someone as smart and beautiful as Emily could have romantic feelings for a guy like me. But in the fall of 1998, yeah, I know some smart guy over here said, we can't believe it either. Yeah. (laughs) We'll be practicing church discipline in the new year, brother. In the fall of 1998, however, Emily and I went to dinner at Outback Steakhouse. Yeah. And if that wasn't treated enough, over dinner, we had a little something called the DTR, the Define the Relationship Talk. I revealed what was in my heart for her. She revealed what was in her heart for me. And wonder of wonders, apparently she had a thing for nerds. Hallelujah. What a savior. We walked into that restaurant, friends, we walked out as a bona fide couple and that moment literally changed the trajectory of both our lives. Every substantial element of our lives, our children, our home, where we live, our daily routine, all of our future plans have in a real way sprung out of that moment when we revealed what was in our hearts for one another. The reason I bring that up is this morning's text says that Jesus came into this world at Christmas to bring about a similar dynamic between God and us. Jesus came to reveal God's heart to us. And in a way we can hardly even comprehend, he came to reveal our hearts to God as well. As a matter of fact, that's so embedded in our text this morning. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that's our big idea for today. The big idea for this message is that Jesus came to reveal what is in God's heart for us and what is in our hearts for him. Jesus came at Christmas to reveal what is in God's heart for us and what is in our hearts 
for him. Now, let's dig into this text that I just read and let's show you why I say that. Last week, you might remember, we looked at this passage and saw that Simeon was a picture of hope. He was a man who believed the promises of God and so he waited with patience and with confidence for God to fulfill all that he'd promised to do. And so we found that this is a picture of beautiful hope waiting patiently for God to fulfill his promises. But there's more to learn from this interaction between Simeon and Jesus. Simeon teaches us that Jesus came to reveal what was in God's heart for us. Let me show you what I mean. Go back to verses 30 through 32. He says, my eyes, Simeon is prophesying here. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Stop right there. As Simeon holds this baby Jesus in his arms, he begins to prophesy about the Christ. And I want you to notice what he says. In verse 30, he says, Jesus, notice this, was the salvation God had been preparing to bring into this world. Now, I don't have time to go down this road, but God from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden had promised to bring about someone who would reverse the curse of sin and restore people to God himself. That was the salvation God had promised. And God's promised salvation was a person who is Jesus. So as Simeon looks at this baby, he says, I've seen your salvation because your salvation is a person. And his name is Jesus. And then you find in verse 32, he says that this salvation, Jesus, that God had been preparing to bring into this world is a light of revelation. He came to reveal something. He says to the Gentiles and glory to God's people in Israel. In other words, when you look at those verses, he says Jesus reveals something through the salvation he brings. You see it there? If you don't, I can't do anything more. That's about as simple as I can make it. He is bringing something. He's revealing something through this salvation, Simeon says. Now look down at verse 34 and we find out more about what he's saying. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed, appointed by God for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. He says, God sent Jesus into this world, notice that, to be a sign that is opposed, okay? So Jesus was a sign that was opposed. Now, what event in Jesus' life would illustrate or describe this opposition? It's the crucifixion, right? There is no better expression of how Jesus was opposed in this world than the moment in time when Christ was nailed to the cross He was pierced through his hands and his feet and his side. And so this sign of opposition that is a revelation to the world through the salvation God is bringing occurred here, namely at the crucifixion. Now, is there anything in Simeon's prophecy that would reinforce what I'm saying, that he is talking about the crucifixion of Jesus? Well, keep reading in verse 35. He says, and a sword, turning to Mary, he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Simeon tells Mary a sword is going to pierce her soul, but notice he uses the word also. You know, that's implying that a sword is going to pierce, or at least this child will be pierced. I think the meaning here is pretty clear, right? 
33 years after Mary would hold this baby in her arms in the temple, presenting him to God, his father, she would stand at the foot of a cross as the father presented his son again as a sacrifice for our sin. And Mary, the mother of this child, would watch as a Roman soldier would pierce the hands, nailing him to the cross, driving a spike through both his feet, nailing him to a cross. She would watch as a Roman soldier would pierce the side of her dying son and blood and water would flow out since his heart had been pierced by that Roman soldier and this baby resting quietly in Simeon's arms was a child destined to die. And as his mother watched his death, a sword would pierce her soul. She would watch her baby boy, who would always be her baby boy, violently killed, paying for the sin of mankind to bring about the salvation God had promised from the Garden of Eden, salvation for any man, woman, and child who would trust in Jesus. And as she watched the violent death of her baby boy, a sword would pierce her heart. Grief that could not be described would overcome her as darkness filled the heavens and earth in the middle of a day, a sword would pierce her soul. And Simeon says, Mary, that event, that moment in time will reveal something to this world. And what does the crucifixion of Jesus for the salvation of sinners reveal? Well, there's a lot that's revealed about God's heart in that moment. God's holiness, his anger and wrath over sin, his justice and righteousness, his judgment. But there's one specific thing I want us to focus on this morning that's revealed at that cross when Christ was crucified. John chapter 3 verse 16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, but God shows, he demonstrates, he makes known his love for us. How? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friend, the heart of God is revealed in the giving of his son, Jesus to be crucified for the sins of this world. And what is in God's heart for us? Love. We are loved by God. You are loved by God. I pray the Holy Spirit would let that wash over you for just a moment and last forever. You are loved by God. That is the most important thing about you. It is more important than your social or your economic status. It's more important than your marital status. It's more important than the greatest or the worst thing you've ever done 
No matter who loves you or who hates you, no matter who accepts you or who rejects you, no matter what you have going for you, no matter how the deck is stacked against you, absolutely nothing is more important than the fact that you are loved by God. Friends, there is good news this week before Christmas. Jesus came from heaven to earth to reveal God's heart for you. And God's heart for you is this. You are loved by God today. But let's not stop there. Because Jesus' death doesn't simply say that God loves us. It shows the depth to which God loves us. Let me, let me share what I mean. Number one, Jesus reveals how much God's love was willing to give. God loves us and displays his love for us by showing how much he's willing to give. Guys, the depth of our love corresponds with how much we are willing to give for the one we love. The best picture I know to illustrate that point is to describe what happens when loving parents welcome their children into their world. Now, Emily and I didn't realize this when we were having children, um, well, I guess just whenever they came, when our children were born. But the, the thing we didn't realize was that having kids became a tremendous sacrifice. We gave up restful night's sleep in order to tend to crying babies. Guys, there is nothing in this world like new baby tired. Nothing. I thought I was tired going through college, working a job, working sometimes two jobs, paying my way through school. I would talk about, boy, I'm so busy, I'm so tired. I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> we did not sleep. There's, I don't even, and, and new parents, I don't mean to discourage you this morning. We haven't slept since. <laughs> I don't know. What, what, I don't even know why we have a bed in our bedroom. This decoration look weird. Let's go ahead and put a desk in there. Let's work. We don't sleep. We got tired, never got rested. We gave up sleep. We gave up our hobbies so we could afford diapers. My golf game stinks. I used to be a pretty good golfer. My golf game stinks so my children wouldn't. We needed to put diapers on those kids. So I gave up golf so we could afford diapers. We gave up relaxing evenings after work to entertain for needy children. I haven't watched Sports Center in decades. We gave up staying out with our friends so we could get our kids to bed on time. Our kids went to bed eight o'clock sharp. They got bathed every single night. They smelled like powder and that great Johnson and Johnson baby lotion. Man, I miss those days. Put them in a onesie. We'd put them to bed, put them to bed and we'd rock them and I remember rocking those kids to sleep at night, telling them stories, singing a song. There was one year where Logan wouldn't let me stop singing Frosty the Snowman. And so I started in September, because that's when we start celebrating Christmas in our house. And I sang all the way through Christmas. And then come January, he didn't know Christmas was over. I had to sing Frosty the Snowman every single night to the following Christmas. I'll never forget one of those nights, Logan, I finished singing Frosty the Snowman. He pushed himself away from my chest and he said, Dad, where do you live? <laughs> I'd had a super busy schedule at church, meetings. Back in those days, had to be at all of them. And I, I realized my son <laughs> didn't even know I lived with him, even though I was sacrificing as much as I could. And that was the moment I, I gave up. I said, no, 
My children will know their dad is with them. We'll sacrifice whatever we have to sacrifice. And you know what? We didn't even give it a second thought. I got to tell you, even as I was writing that down in some of those illustrations, I felt bad even using the phrase, we gave up those things. We weren't giving anything up. We just were loving our kids. We never even gave it a second thought. Logan, are you up there? I love you, son. Now I put my girls on the spot. Mia, I love you, dear. Mandy Kay, I love you. And I want you to know, (laughs) that's what happens when you start talking to teenagers in the balcony. (laughs) Em and I would give up anything at our disposal for one of those three kids. And all of them were born here. They're your family as well. And I think you all know that all of our shortcomings as people, we we have them, many of them, that we would give up anything for the well-being of our kids. Church, do do you believe me when I say we would give up anything for our children? Yeah. So let me ask you this. How much would I have to love someone to give up one of my kids for that person? Do you think God loves his son any less? And yet he willingly gave his only son, his only begotten son to suffer and die for you. Jesus reveals how deep God's love is by showing what he was willing to give for you. Jesus reveals how little we deserve God's love. My, my mama and papa were amazing people. They, they both dearly loved one another. I grew up and they were a backdrop to my childhood. And their love for one another was a constant in all of our lives. It was an inspiration to witness my mama and papa always talking. And not only talking, but living like they deeply loved each other to this day. Ma'am and Papa, I've been in heaven for a long time now. I cannot recall a single word either one of them ever said about the other that wasn't filled with encouragement, positive praise and affection and love. Mamaw said she wouldn't trade a peach, char- a peach farm in Georgia for Papa. Now, I don't know what the going rate is on peach farms in Georgia, but it sounded big to me. Papa loved and cared for Mamaw. I hurt her feelings once. Didn't mean to, but I did. And I remember Papa taking me aside. And I remember him looking at me, saying, don't ever hurt my wife again. He loved his bride. And so listen, as I thought about Mama and Papa's love, I've got to tell you, I was inspired, but I was never amazed. Because I would think about how awesome Mamaw is, and I would say, well, of course Papaw loves her. He'd be an idiot if he didn't. Mamaw's the best. And then I would think about Papaw and think, well, of course Mamaw would rather have Papaw than a peach farm in Georgia. (laughs) He's the best. It isn't amazing to see someone love a person who is lovable. Have you ever known someone who had the capacity to love an unlovable person? In 1993, a 16-year-old named O'Shea Israel 
killed another young man at a party. He was tried as an adult and convicted of second-degree murder. In 2010, he was released from prison, and a woman named Mary Johnson organized a homecoming party for him. She was a Christian lady who knew about his story and decided she would visit him often and not allow him to just rot and die and be corrupt in prison. She visited him, and her love transformed his life. She became like a mother to him. was so committed to helping him turn his life around That once O'Shea was released from prison, she was the one who hosted his homecoming party. As a matter of fact, later on, O'Shea moved into the house next door to Mary just so the two of them could be close. They began traveling the country, speaking to different groups, telling about the power of God's love and forgiveness. It's a beautiful story about a woman who chose to love an unlovable man. And what makes it even more powerful is that it was Mary's son who was murdered by O'Shea those years before. Can you imagine loving the person who is responsible for the death of your son? That's exactly how God loves you. It was your sin that sent Jesus to the cross, yours and mine. Every act of sin is an act of rebellion and war against our God. Yet Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners against God, God shows his love for us unlovable people in that he sent Jesus, his son, to die for us. You don't deserve it and neither do I, but God loves you anyway. Jesus reveals Not only how much God loves and is willing to give and how little we deserve his love, he reveals how blessed we are by God's love. Listen, if someone helps you pass a test at school, you you feel a certain kind of love. If someone helps you purchase a home you can't afford without their help, you feel a deeper kind of love. If someone helps you regain your health by giving you one of their kidneys, you'd feel another kind of love. If someone risks their life To free you from a prisoner of war camp, you would feel an even deeper sense of love. The greater the blessing, the deeper the love. Listen to 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Friend, Jesus came to show the kind of love that was willing to die to save us from an eternity in hell, and then to turn around and make us children of the most high God. You are a child of God if you're trusting in Jesus. You are loved with the infinite heart of an infinite God who is your father. There is no greater blessing, so there is no deeper love than the love God has for you. Friend, you are loved by God. He paid the dearest price. He gave the greatest blessing out of a heart of love. You don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. Nothing you could do would ever make him love you more and nothing you ever will do will make him love you less. You are loved by God. My friend Bob Rowell's favorite song says it well. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich 
and pure, how, how marvelous and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Jesus came to reveal what is in God's heart for you today. And what is in his heart is love. But Jesus didn't come simply to reveal what's in God's heart for you. Jesus came to reveal what's in our hearts for God. Look back at our text in Luke 2. Verses 34 through 35 says this. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Do you see it right there? Jesus came to this world to reveal thoughts from many hearts. Now, here's what you need to know. That word many is often used in the Bible as a way of describing everyone. For instance, Romans 5.19 says, for as by one man, talking about Adam, one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That, that talk, that's talking about the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And earlier in Romans 5, Paul specifically talks about that event and says that by that one sin, everyone became a sinner. And so the many in that text is just another way of saying everyone. All have sinned. The many, the all have sinned. And that's the way it's being used back in Luke 2. Jesus reveals what is in everyone's heart toward God. You see, everyone in this world, including you and me, will be judged by how we respond to Jesus. That's why verse 34 says, he was appointed for the fall and the rising of many. That word rising is mainly used in the New Testament to describe the resurrection of Jesus. And what he's saying there is, so everyone will either fall into destruction by rejecting Jesus or be raised to a glorious new life by embracing Jesus. How you respond to Jesus makes all the difference. Listen to the way Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, notice this phrase, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Verse six there says that Jesus is chosen, that he's precious. That means he's a treasure. And that means you will either treasure Jesus. You will either love Jesus as your greatest treasure or you will stumble over him and reject him. Jesus, friend, is either the foundation of your life or as valueless as a stone you'd been down and cast aside in rejection. You need to know this. There is no middle ground. We either Bow before Jesus as our Lord and the treasure of our life above all earthly treasure. Or we have, in fact, rejected Jesus for who he really is. How you respond to Jesus reveals what is in your heart for God because Jesus is 
God. And you will either love and treasure him or you will reject him. You see, there are countless people who are going to celebrate the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. But they need to know, and so do we, that is not the same as treasuring Jesus as the greatest gift of God's love. You and I both know there are people in this culture, in this community, maybe even in this room, who would say they're followers of Jesus Christ, but they marginalize Jesus in their lives. He's little more than an afterthought to their families or their careers or their plans. It's why so many so-called Christians live lives that are barely different than the rest of this world. They pursue the same goals and ambitions as their unsaved friends and neighbors. That's called marginalizing Jesus. And if you marginalize Jesus, that means he's not the center by definition. He's not your treasure when he's marginalized. He's a part of your life, but not the center. And you need to know, according to the text we just read, marginalizing Jesus is no discernible difference than rejecting him. There are also those who not only marginalize Jesus, but manipulate Jesus. They come to Jesus as though he's some powerful butler or cosmic vending machine. They only want Jesus if Jesus will give them what they really want, because what they really want isn't Jesus. They only want Christ if he'll bless their finances or save their marriages or protect their children or restore their health. They don't fall before Jesus as Lord and embrace him as their treasure. And listen to me, friends. Jesus Christ will not be manipulated. He is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. So what is in your heart toward Jesus? If the most important thing about you is that you are loved by God, then the second most important thing is that you would love the God whose name is Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. What is in your heart for Jesus today? Have you placed your faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior because your eternal destiny falls and rises on how you respond to Jesus? That's why he came from heaven to earth, not to be marginalized, not to be manipulated, but to be the glorious light of revelation that you are a fallen sinner who is loved by God and then reveal whether or not you have fallen as a sinner before your glorious God whose name is Jesus. What is in your heart for Jesus today? On this Sunday before Christmas, my prayer is that you and I would receive and treasure the greatest gift that has ever been given, the gift of God's love and the life of his son, whose name is Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Would you bow your heads? As we reflect over this morning's message, let's enter into a time of prayer. What is your response to the love of God for you in Jesus? 
If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, depending on his perfect life and his sacrificial death on the account of your sins and his glorious resurrection, trusting in Christ to make you right and keep you right from God this morning, this moment, right now, would you call on Jesus to save you? Just acknowledge your sin, that you have sinned against God. Confess your inability. You can't make yourself right with God. And by faith, claim the promise that all who call on Jesus will be saved in every way they need to be saved. Call on Jesus right now. And for those of you who would say, I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what is deep in your heart toward Christ? To show you how you may be marginalizing Jesus instead of treasuring him? Is he the center of your heart? The center of your plans, your job, your marriage, your parenting? Is Jesus your treasure? Would you pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you with humble faith to bow before Jesus. To fill you with love. To treasure Christ above all. Father, we thank you that Christ has come. And that in his coming, he has revealed for all of time what is in your heart for fallen sinners like us. Praise you for loving us, God. Undeserving as we are, praise you for loving us. And Lord, I pray that not only would we see the love of Christ, but that by the work of Christ in us through the Spirit, you would reveal to us what we may not even see about ourselves, and that is what is truly in our heart or not in our heart for Christ, God. Pray that we would repent from all the worldliness and godlessness that marks our lives to see the hypocrisy of saying that we are followers of Jesus when we in fact do not follow him. And Lord, I pray in humble faith we would bow acknowledging Jesus as Lord of all our lives and trusting in his power to live a life that treasures him. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.